on this morning. Once again, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, I know I always try to take a moment to encourage and bless our music department. But wow, what an exciting time it is. And what an outstanding job that they do. I know your hands are full and all, but just shout hallelujah. Come on, I just thank God for an awesome group of men, women of God that are committed, dedicated to their area, their skills, their craft, their anointing, their ministry, and it makes us proud. And uh, when you bring your guests and friends to church, it's a good thing not to feel embarrassed and you had to hold your breath and wonder what the music department going to do or wonder what the pastor going to say. All right, I, I ain't crazy. I know how y'all think from time to time, all right? But I'm very grateful and I'm appreciative for our co-laborers and those that serve in that area of ministry. It's not easy serving in the music department for such great people as you all are here at UCC. But God bless them all. The book of Matthew, chapter 16. The book of Matthew, chapter 16. Very familiar verse of scripture. Um, when I want to hear the heart of the Lord, I often find myself back in Matthew 16. When there are days when so many things are pulling and so many things are competing for mental and emotional and spiritual and all of that, I find myself going back to Matthew chapter 16. I want to invite you all today. In fact, today uh, we'll, we'll answer three very important questions you should want to know when you are joining a church or attending a church or considering a church. I think that um, I've kind of tapped into something today and I want to talk to you about these very important questions. Let's go to Matthew 16, verse 13. Matthew 16 and verse 13, are, are you there? Bible says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. And others say that you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? Would you look at verse 16? Simon Peter. You all remember Peter, don't you? Peter answers and says, you are the Christ, son of God, the living one. And Jesus answered and said to him, well, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Once again, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, I say to you, Peter, that upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, notice this, and not only will I build a church, but I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Is that what your Bible says? And whatever you bind, or excuse me, whatever you loose on the earth will also be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm going to have to circle something. I was in worship, and I got caught up for a moment. And when I went to get my pen and paper, I couldn't remember what it was that I had heard. But I just now realized why this was important. So I got to write this note while I'm talking to you so I don't forget it when I get to it. Now, I'm going to sound a little selfish for the next few moments, but I hope you bear with me in this title. But I want to talk for the next 20 minutes, seeing what my pastor sees. Seeing... Y'all didn't give me an opportunity to say it twice. And you already looking down. Come on, seeing what my pastor sees. I want to talk about catching the vision of the house. Catching the vision. Notice it didn't say understanding nor seeing, but catching uh, the vision of the house. One more time. Seeing what my pastor sees. Catching the vision of the house. Well, you ain't my pastor. Well, today I'm going to be your pastor because you're here. And if you don't want me to be your pastor, you should want somebody else's church. 
But since you're here, I'm glad to be your pastor today, all right? So since you're here, I might as well go ahead and show you what I see, all right? One more time, seeing what my pastor sees. Please take your seats in the presence of the Lord. I just want to have some, a little fun this morning as I teach the Word of God. You all know I've spent several uh, weeks, much considerable time talking and teaching about vision. I've talked about your vision. Am I right? Am I right about it? Now, be honest. Now, don't be hard on me. Be honest. I've spent about five, maybe six weeks talking about your vision. Vision for your home. Vision for your family. Vision for your vegetable garden. Vision for your business. Vision for your marriage. And, and man, you all have you've run with it. And you've been excited, and man, people love when people talk about their, something that is interesting to them. And so I've given you all several weeks dealing with your vision. I want to take this week to talk about my vision. I want to talk about why I believe I'm here, what I'm called to do, and uh, how we're going to get this done. And since you're here today, whether you are a member or not, uh, by faith, I'm just going to prophesy into your life for a few minutes on today. I want to talk about seeing what my pastor sees, catching the vision of the house, catching the vision of the house. Um, you know how important having a vision is. You already know that. If you've been in the services, if you watch the broadcast online, you already know Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. We believe that the vision is highly important. It's very influential, and it can make a community, if not a global, impact. We've talked about the voice of the vision, the value of vision, and the victory of vision. Uh, real quick, just for, for re review's sake, and those who are new or perhaps those who are visiting with us today, a very simple definition borrowed uh, concerning vision is simply this, a snapshot or a picture of the future of what can be and what must be. Very simple. Very to the point. A vision, and you may want to write this down, is a picture of the future. What does your future look like? I don't know. Well, go get a vision so you can see what God wants your future to be. In fact, not only what it can be, in fact, what it must be. Uh, Thursday nights, in fact, the past two Thursday nights, I've talked about vision conception to vision completion. Very practical, very down to earth. If you are a teenager in this room, I want you to have a vision for your college years or your military experiences or, or, or your business entrepreneurial um, uh, agenda. If, if, if you are a, a, a retiree and you are enjoying the glorious years of enjoying your labor, I don't want to put you on an igloo and set you out into the sea so you can coast for the rest of your life. But I believe as long as you have breath in your lungs, blood in your veins, that there's a purpose and a plan that God has for you on the earth. Now, we won't work it too hard. We want you to enjoy your retirement. But I believe from a ministry context, there are lives that yet need to be touched. There are families that yet need to be uh, saved. There are people. In fact, there are communities that can be impacted. One of the things we discovered this past few weeks about vision is it had nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with, with, with increase or, or prosperity or whatever the words we use in the media and in the community that robs people from being effective in the earth. When you look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, when you look at Isaiah and all of the book of Isaiah, you look at Nehemiah, Moses, Abraham, all of these gentlemen and ladies, I would add, had something in common as related to vision. It really had nothing to do with tithing offerings. It had all to do with making an impact on a generation. When God speaks to Habakkuk, when God speaks to Nehemiah, when he speaks to Isaiah, it all had to do with, with ministering, 
to a generation of people who had walked away from God, bringing people back into the kingdom, bringing people back into the fold, bringing people back into an alignment with God's plans and God's purpose for their lives. And so we talked about how to write an effective vision statement, how to creatively cast a vision. Someone said that how you communicate a vision is equally as important to having a vision itself. I got a great vision, but if you don't know how to communicate it to your wife, you're in trouble. Man, I've got a blazing, white, hot, fiery vision from heaven for my ministry. But if you don't know how to articulate that to the lay people of your church, it will have been in vain. You may have a vision for a small business, and it can make you millions one day. But if you don't know how to communicate that vision, those set of expectations, if you can't draw and paint a picture, when I have my staff meeting this coming Tuesday, I will paint a picture of what the vision should look like for our staff and eventually for our board and then again for the church. I don't want you here every Sunday just kind of going through the motions. No one wants to live that type of life. No one wants to be in that type of church. You can stay home and stay in the bed for that matter. You can get them to crochet or cut grass or paint your nails on Sunday morning for that matter. I want everyone to say, I am involved in something very big. And it's touching a generation of people. So from conception to completion, how do I write a vision to where people can not only see it, but they can follow it and they'll be able to run with it? See it, follow it and run with it. I already feel like I'm preaching over your heads right now and I don't wanna do that. How many people believe having a vision is important? Let me just see your hands. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed or ashamed. We're all learning and growing and somewhere we're somewhere in the pecking order of developing as Christians and as people, but how many people have a vision statement? Just see your hands. Okay, all right, put your hands down. Um, for those who didn't put your hands up, how many of you all would say, Pastor, I would like to have a vision statement. Good. All right. Good. You're in the right house. You're in the right place. I learned a new word this past year called myopic. Myopic. And dealing with some issues and volunteering and dealing with issues with people and this and the other, someone used the word myopic. I never heard that word in my entire life. I, I knew what it sounded like it meant, but I had to really go to the dictionary and realize that when a person is myopic, uh, they, they're short-sighted they're, or, or, or nearsighted, as we'd call it. They're lacking imagination, lacking foresight, lacking intelligent insight. I think that when a person is myopic, they, they, they see things only on their level of comfort, and they refuse to see the big picture. They refuse to see a greater cause of what perhaps is invisible. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, we don't want to have a church where people are myopic. They take a big vision and they reduce it right down to their area of comfort and embracing. When that happens, there's a counterproductiveness to what I believe the Lord spoke to our house. So the goal is to raise the level of faith, raise the level of creativity of what can be and what must be. 
you know, I talked about vision on Thursday nights, and here's the question. When you have a vision, some of y'all raised your hand and said, you know, I want to have a vision from God. Let me help you out real quick. If you can't make it on Thursday nights, I'll give you real quick the cheat sheet of, of having a solid vision from heaven. Three questions you'll always have to ask yourself when it comes to, and what I'm involved in, what I'm seeing, what I'm trying to accomplish, how do I know this is from God, and how do I know it's going to succeed? Three questions real quick. Number one, will God get the glory from this vision? When it's all said and done, will this bring honor and praise unto the Lord, or will it bring honor and praise to my flesh? Question number two, will it help further his kingdom? Whatever I'm trying to do, whether it's in business, community, missions, school, military, media, sports, entertainment, home, whatever it is that you believe God's shown you, how does it connect to his overall plan for his kingdom? Will it Will, will souls be saved out of it? Will, will people be encouraged from it? Um, uh, will, 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 will practical needs be met? All right? When Jesus ministered to the poor, when Jesus ministered to the crowds, when Jesus ministered to the people, all mean, excuse me, many needs were met. He didn't just come wave his hand and say, look how grand I am, how great I are. No, he came feeding those who were hungry. He clothed those who were naked. He healed those who were hurting. Does your vision add some type of strength to his kingdom? Here's the tough question we asked these past two Thursday nights. I'll ask it again. Question number three, does it reinforce the vision of the local house? Hmm. Does what, you, what you're trying to accomplish in your job, on your, with your new business, in your home, with your ministry, with your missions, what you're trying to accomplish in your community, does it somehow reinforce, can it fit within the vision of the church you're a member of? going to be tough ministry for the next five minutes. We looked at this young man by the name of Gehazi. Many of y'all may not know who Gehazi is, but he was the armor bearer. He was the, 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 the chief assistant server, servant to Elijah, the man of God. In fact, we pick it up in 2 Kings 5. The Bible says, verse 20, but Elijah said, was not my spirit as your leader with you when you went out to deceive? Uh, make a long story short, uh, Gehazi decides to take his own agenda at the expense of the ministry he was submitted under. Can I talk for a few moments? Elijah, the man of God, speaks to Naaman the leper, and Naaman gets healed by dipping in the Jordan River. Well, Naaman's a pretty important guy with a whole lot of money. He comes back and says, hey, how can I be a blessing to Elijah, the man of God? How can I be a blessing to the church? And Elijah said, no, nah, don't worry about it. God's going to supply my needs. You're good to go. Enjoy your healings, yada, yada, yada. But the, the armor bearer said, hmm, here's an opportunity to be a capitalist. Here, uh, since I'm so opportunistic, uh, here's an opportunity to get a little something, something on the side, and ain't nobody got to know about it. So Gehazi runs back to the man who got in healing and said, you know what, don't worry about what the pastor said. I mean, don't worry about what uh, uh, Eliza said. Uh, you know what, we could use a couple of dollars here and there. We could use a little something. And so the Bible says that Gehazi took it and he hid it. He comes back to the house of God, and the man of God is sitting there saying, uh, where were you earlier? Well, you know, I was out there playing blackjack, and I was out there running numbers and all that. Nah, he said, since we're connected in the spirit, since sheep know they pass his voice, and pastors ought to know the hearts of their sheep, was not my heart with you? Did not God show? Now, you would think Gehazi would have enough common sense if the man of God has already been identified as one who's in the enemy's chamber hearing the word of the Lord, spoiling the plans of the enemy, and Gehazi is next to him. He know, you'd think that he'd have some type of credibility that I'm actually working with someone who really hears from God. But when greed grips your heart, when sin decides to deceive, my, you know, we said it years ago when I was coming out of college, sin will make you do some stupid things. 
Sin will cause you to look crazy. Uh, you're not saying amen, I say. Uh, it really will. Sin, uh, you'll hear me say this 15 times between now and the end of next year. Sin will cause you to look crazy. We all sitting here scratching our head trying to figure out how in the world did so-and-so conceive that thought in their head. Sin will make you stupid. Everybody okay? Everybody all right? And so, so we find out that Gehazi had his own agenda. He had his own platform, his own ambition, his own objective. But that young man had his own vision. And he tried to build his vision all the while exploiting the vision of the house. I'm going somewhere with this example. Number two, we find out Gehazi should have been an example. He should have been an extension. He really should have been an echo of the house of God he was under. You're quiet right now. I'm glad you're quiet because that, 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 that lets me know that you're thinking. Could it be that when God submits you to a spiritual house, I mean, Pastor Stephen, are you mean to tell me that church is really all that important? In my everyday life, it is. It is. You mean to tell me that what I do on Sundays and Thursdays and revivals and concerts and all of the church stuff that we do, it can have an effect? It can have an actual, uh, 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 not only an effect, but has some sense of relevance to my everyday life outside of church? It can. Bible made it clear in the Old Testament when you are planted, rooted, established in the house of God, outside of the house of God in your everyday life, you still succeed and you still flourish. That's the Old Testament answer. Jesus says, when, as I go to be with the Father, greater works shall you do. Uh, go, to go to John chapter 3. Let me show you something. John chapter 3. I love teaching like this because I believe you're, you're, being, you're being taught and you're learning something in Scripture. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. In fact, uh, look at verse, oh my gosh. Uh, go to verse, John chapter 3. But then I want you to look at verse 27. John 3, 27. And John the Baptist answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Y'all still want to keep reading? All right, let's keep reading. In verse 28, you yourselves bear witness of me that I said that I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who, who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears from him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Notice the words of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I was the cast me out. I was all that in a bag of chips. I am the prophet from the Old and the New Testament. I am all of these great things that was prophesied of me. But now that Jesus has come on the scene, and it's no, it's no longer more about me. In fact, I am decreasing that Jesus would increase. There was a spirit of humility and honor to a greater institution, a greater anointing, a greater fulfillment. John the Baptist, and by the way, John the Baptist wouldn't have nothing to shake a stick at. Jesus, out of his own mouth, said, you will have seen no greater prophet than John the Baptist. Could it have been, not through his baptisms, not through his wild locusts and honey, but through his humility, through him honoring the Christ that made him so awesome. Let's keep moving real quick. Three important questions today I want to answer. If you're attending our church, whether you are a member or not, if you're contemplating membership, you know, if UCC just isn't your 
thing. Whatever church you join, and you should join a church. Joining a church is humility. I'm taking a pulse while I'm preaching. When a man or woman commits to not joining a church, there are two very, very, very spiritual laws that are out of whack. In fact, there are, very, very, there are two very strong violations. Number one, your consumerism has taken over your life to where you want everything from the church, but you don't want to commit back to a church. This isn't Target or Walmart or Roses or Big Lots. When you can eat from the table without providing for the table, basically you're stealing from the house. And when a pastor like me preaches it, well, I'm going somewhere else next week. Well, you're going to keep that continued ongoing spirit from house to house. And eventually, when you eat from everybody's table, you will be malnutrition in your diet. You wonder where crazy Christians come from. Now, y'all think I'm making this stuff up. It, it very well may have taken me 21 years to finally put two and two together. I'm starting to see a trend. The majority of crazy Christians that I know usually don't have no church home. Oh, y'all feel the same way too? The majority of crazy cuckoos in the church. I mean, they see all type of zebras and leopards and unicorns and spiritual dwarfs and, and trolls. And I mean, they got all this deep revelation. And my God, they raise their hand. They feel like they Joan of Arc. And they just feel like they can tackle lions and polka dot tigers and spiritual tongues and all that. Normally, the majority of them don't have no pastor. They go from conference to conference, shut in to shut in, revival to revival, prophetic meeting. You're not saying amen. You hear God talk to you about Dr. Pepper and Mr. Pib and Sundrop. He speaks to you about pork rinds and beef jerky, but he can't tell you to live holy. He won't tell you to pay your tithe. He doesn't tell you to be submitted, but yet you hear his voice all throughout the early mornings, uh, hours of the morning, but yet you can't hear his voice say, stay with your wife, stay with your husband. I better say that one more time. I'm beginning, and you, please forgive me for being slow. People tell me every time, Pastor, you just slow. You just, you don't catch it. Maybe I don't. But it has taken me 21 years to now connect the dots. The majority of Looney Tunes in the Christian bloodstained church are normally Christians who will not have a home. Now, I'm not talking about those who are transitioning from city to city and those who are in, you know, things do happen. and People go from new church, new pastor and all that. I understand all that. But you've been saved for 30 years and you can't join one church in 30 years. I better keep moving. Here's the second violation. Your arrogance and your cockiness keeps you from God's blessings. And you're frustrated because you're doing all of the biblical things, but you don't see no biblical results. It could be that you say that I cannot submit myself not only to an institution, you know, they call it man's religion in the world, but what you're really trying to say is I'm too good for the, black, for the people sitting on my row. I'm tired of hypocrites in the church. Well, they hypocrites going to be at the stadium tomorrow night at 8.30 when the Panthers play the Colts, but it's not going to stop you from watching the game. They're hypocrites over at the convenience store where you play the numbers every Tuesday. 
but it's not going to stop you from going over there. Uh, give me $20 on this. Give me $10 on that. Uh, what's that? Yeah, yeah. They ain't hypocrites on your job at 4 a.m. in the morning. But they ain't going to stop you from being there at 4, 5 a.m. in the morning. But only in the church. Well, you know, that pastor, I tell you, that pastor, that, that, past, that first lady, that first lady. You always get every excuse in the world not to humble yourself. We know we got issues. Everybody in the church got issues. We already know all that. But you got issues too. So why don't you bring your issues with our issues? Let's come to a church full of issues. Let's come to the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and all of the issues of my heart. All right, let me give you these three questions. My God, I'm almost out of time. I want to give you three questions. In fact, would you write these three questions down? Number one, who are we? Number two, what are we called to do? Number three, where do I fit in? I know I can give you number one today, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to give you all a number two, and I probably definitely won't get to number three. You'll have to come back Thursday night. You'll have to come back next Sunday. But I will give you number one. Who are we? Who are we? I need you to see what I see. All right? I need you to know that you are a part of something great, something special. In fact, you're part of something spiritual. 1994, we started a church right down the street from First Ward or Piedmont Courts Community Housing. And in that small 1,100-square-foot house, we had six chairs, old raggedy podium, okay, and a sign that said Full Gospel Fellowship Church. We grew that church from two people, my wife and I, August or September of 1994, to a handful of 20, 30, 40, this, that, and the other, and we ran out of space. We opened a daycare up there and after school program and we were meeting parents and we'd have a couple fellowships on Friday nights, this, that, and the other. And after we had about 30 members or so, we said we need more room and need no space. So we went over to First Ward Elementary School. And in First Ward Elementary School, we had a room that was a dance studio room. Seated about 30 people, but the good news was that room had mirrors. So 30 people looked like 120 people. Even then, God was helping us grow our faith, all right? We stayed in that room for about three, four months and we went to the gym. There's that gym. I love that place. I love that place. Man, we had church in that school, that First Ward Elementary School. How many of y'all were here at First Ward? And let me see the hands of those that were here. Uh, in fact, would you stand? If you were here at First Ward days, we're talking 19, oh, no, 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 no. Let me back up. Let me back up. If you were here at East 10th Street days, stand to your feet. East 10th Street. One, well, how many did I tell y'all? Six. One, two, Elder Derrick Burnett, three, Bosky, four, Mike Rory, Tracy Rory, five, six, okay, all right. Would you all give these awesome founding leaders a hand? God bless them all. All right, oh, stay standing, stay standing. If you wasn't with us in the gym, but you joined us at First Ward, stand to your feet. You were at First Ward Elementary School, whether you were in a dance studio or the gym, stand to your feet. You will have had to have been with us now for almost, what would that be, 18 years, maybe 16, 17 years, something like that. Stand to your feet. Let's thank God for these that are standing to their feet. Now, would you all agree, Pastor would you agree, we had church in that building. We were killing scarecrows and tearing down bales, and we were marching around the city. I mean, we had church in that gym. My God. And right before we built our brand-new facility on Old Concord Road, it snowed the last Sunday that we had church in that place. Y'all see that parking lot right there in front? 
We had about 150, 200 people in that parking lot in the snow having church. The janitor didn't come and open the door that last, and it's just like the devil. The very last Sunday, this is why I'm not surprised of some of the challenges we have right now before we go to our next facility. It's just like the devil will show his behind. Now, we've been meeting there for three years plus, faithfully. The very last Sunday before we moved into the new building in Old Concord Road, the devil showed up. Man forgot to come unlock the building. It's snowing outside. It's cold outside. But we had the quickest 15-minute church service we've ever had in our lives. We shouted. Am I right about it? Am I right about it? We danced. We sang some songs. And we raised that offering. Hallelujah to Jesus. All right, come on. Let's go to that old Concord Road real quick. So March, 2006, uh, March 2000, we moved in to Old Concord Road. Man, these pictures are bringing tears. There, leave it right there. How many of y'all joined us at Old Concord Road? Let me see you stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. All my Old Concord Road crew. All my OCR crew. Where you at? Where you at, OCR? Come on, y'all, give you, let's clap our hands for all of the OCR crew. <laughs> now, here's the a, here's a trivia quiz. You, do you all remember having church here without purple chairs? We had those plastic chairs because our chairs were late coming from the state of Georgia. So we had to have some black chairs for the first few months. We ain't had no pulpit stuff. We, we ain't had no sign. We just believed God. But again, we had church in that place. And God met us time and time again. Would you give all of those that are standing a round of applause? Come on, let's God bless you all. Please, God bless you all. Please be seated. Please be seated. Now, today, I believe UCC is a very innovative, relevant church with a very intense vision. I make no mistake, I make no shame, make no bones about it. I know we are high octane church. I know we're very active. In fact, we're probably more active than we should be. We should try to simplify some of the events and things that we do, and we probably should kind of narrow down some of our focuses, but man, there's just times, I'm just highly competitive. Where there's a soul that can be saved, where there's a, a need that can be met, I'm thinking and visioning, how can we stretch ourselves just a little bit further to be a part of this and do that and the other? And so today, we're here. Our vision is real simple. Love God, love one another, and serve the world. It's simple, it's sound, but I believe it's relevant. We have core values in our church. We just don't want to be a church that's a glorified flea market and just any old thing that happens goes. We believe there's order in the house of God. We believe that we should be focused on the vision. And if it really doesn't fit in the vision, we ought not be doing it. And we struggle. I'll be the first to admit, we struggle at times with that. Because, again, we want to do a whole lot of things. Paul says, I become all things, all men, that I might by some means win some of them. I, we realize we're not going to win everybody in Charlotte. We won't win everybody in this corridor. But if we stretch ourselves, and God bless you all, because I know I stretch you. I know I stretch you all. I stretch our staff, I stretch our board, I stretch our leaders, I stretch our volunteers. And we're doing it in a, 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 a building that we're kind of the setup and the breakdown and the decor and the location and the signage. And listen, I know it's exhausting. It's old. But we can't throw in the towel now. We're almost there. We're not too far off. You got to be steadfast. Hang in there. We're almost home. We're almost there. But in the meantime, we've committed to passionate preaching, very practical teaching. We're going to have some of the best praise and worship, gospel choirs, mass choirs, musicians. We want you to be proud. And listen, let's not be ashamed of that. Only eight amens. Let's not be ashamed of our type of music. 
I know you got a degree now, and I know you didn't graduate and you somebody special, but don't you forget where you come from. I'm trying to be nice, I'm trying to be nice, but I know you live on this side of town and you drive a certain car and you got a certain name brand clothes, but uh, don't be ashamed of the culture. And y'all gonna make me say something. I'm, try, I'm trying to be nice. I'm try, I know you arrived and we real kind of up, 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 you know. But let's, let me tell you something. When you wanna go in, I'm not looking for no harp. I'm not looking for no little acoustical. I'm not looking for no gazoo. I, I could care less about all of the bells and whistles. Give me a B3 sound and a tambourine. I want to make sure there's some people who are hand clapping, foot stomping, tongue talking. Uh-huh. When I want to go in, I know the sound of heaven that I'm accustomed to. All right? All right, come on, take your seat. I'm just, I just want y'all. So we, we believe and unashamedly. So no matter who your guests are, no matter what background, what color, what socioeconomical status they're from, don't you be ashamed to bring them to your church on Sunday morning. All right? Friday night, I was North Meg High School. I was at the game. We were the visiting team, and uh, 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 ran across a friend I hadn't seen since high school days, and we got to talk about some stuff. And then uh, during halftime, I, I saw a billionaire. Uh, uh, I know him personally, and uh, I just wanted to thank him for inspiring me to dream and envision. He said, boy, I tell you, your son's doing a great job. I said, thank you, sir. I said, let me say this to you. I appreciate you and your leadership. Now, when I say, did I say billion with a B? I didn't say million. I said billionaire with a B. I did say billionaire, right? All right. This one make, just make, and that's the second one, by the way, I've shaken hands with in my lifetime. Uh, Bob Johnson was the first when the uh, uh, Bobcats opened up the arena. I shook his hand. I had to. Mm, I ha I just, I ha call the police, call the security. If I get a chance to shake that man's hand, because some going to rub off on me. I, I believe in touching as a green. You touch, I'll agree. All right? All right. I know my, I'm well over my time. I got to give up. But, but, so, but so I told this billionaire, I said, listen, I said, he said, how's your son doing? I said, well, just pray for him. His, you know, he got a little back injury. He's he, he trying to rest himself up for the playoffs, this, that, and the other. He said, he said since you're a pastor, would you, would you pray for my son? I'm believing God for healing. I said, we are going to believe God. I said, by the way, I've already talked to your son, grown man that is, and we're believing God for his healing. It took 24 hours for me to be driving home last night from Rodney to say to myself, you let that man ask one more time. I'm going to get two church mothers. You going Mother Crawford? Anybody else scared to go? Y'all scared? If you're scared, say you're scared now. Bring your oil. You got it right? Oh, she got it right there. All right? I needed to bring the church accountant with me just in case he get moved by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> And we going to lay hands on that boy. If I can't bring the musicians, we're going to bring a radio and cut the music on. All I'm saying is this. Never be ashamed of the traditions, the culture, the unique anointing that God has given us. All right? We know how to contextualize. We know how to balance ourselves. We know how to, you know, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. 
but I'm not changing our church because of a move. We're not going to change who we are because we're going up the hill, all right? All right? We're going to be George and Louise Jefferson. We're going to move on up uh, to the penthouse in the sky, but we're not going to change the things that it took to get us to where we're at. I still believe in tongues, gifts, signs and wonders, healings, breakthrough, laying on of hands, folk falling out, people walking and jerk. I believe in all of that. I believe in casting out the devil. I believe in telling the devil right in his eyes, you are a liar. Satan, I rebuke you in the name. Sickness, you demonic spirit. Come out of that girl. And watch the healing of God and watch miracles and watch God do something in your generation. I believe that bones can be cracked back into place. I believe that ligaments and healing and minds can be restored. I believe the blood, the blood, the blood. Ah, the blood still makes a difference. So let me serve you notice now. We will always be a church that believes in the blood-stained banner. For it was under the blood, it was under his blood and his glorious power that will heal. My time is already up. I wish I had time to finish this message. Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. My God, I, I'm on page two, and I got six pages of notes. I don't even know how I'm going to do all this. But come on, tell somebody, I yet believe in the blood. The Bible says we are redeemed not by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Jesus. I just want you to lean on somebody and just go ahead and lean on them and say, neighbor, I'm leaning on the everlasting arm of the Lord. I'm not going to walk by what I see, but I'm going to walk by what I believe. For the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. I'm going to decree and declare it. God said he'll establish it. I'm going to speak those things that are not as though they were. Better days are ahead. Greater things are coming my way. Uh, glory to the Lamb. Uh, glory to the King. Uh, hallelujah. Paul said it this way. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Somebody cry out power. It is the power under salvation. You want to see your loved ones saved? You want to see people healed? You want to see people set free? Priest the cross. Priest the blood. Believe on him. Thou shalt be saved. Clap your happy hands. Lift your voice, somebody, and give him glory. Come on, give him glory. Come on, give him glory. Give the Lord glory. Somebody wave your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I am what I am by the grace of God. I can do what I can do by the grace of God. Glory. Glory. I believe it's a trick of the enemy. Somehow another, listen, let me say this to you. Somehow another, we've got it all wrong. Somehow another, we think the better we become, the brighter we become, the more we build, the less we ought to take it easy in our faith. That's quite the opposite. 
of what God expects. We can't build or we can't ascertain a new house. And the first thing we do is kick him out of it. We never going to really arrive on this side of Jordan. We're always going to be hungry. We're always going to honor. We're going to be ready and yet believe in God for greater things. For greater things. And so the Bible says Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, a place of statues, a place of figurines. When you go to Israel, there's so many replicas, not replicas, excuse me, ancient ruins, authentic ancient ruins to this day. Well, you still see all of the Greek goddesses and all of the Greek culture. And I believe it was the heart of Jesus to take his disciples right to a place of Caesar's influence. So in the midst of all of these statues and false gods and figurines, he said, I got a question for y'all. What are they saying out there on the street about me? <laughs> well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, but that can't be because he in jail. Some say you're Elijah because, you know, they're thinking maybe he's Elijah if no testament dude's going to come because Bible prophetically said Elijah would come, but it was the spirit that would come, not man that would come, all that stuff. Well, some say you're Jeremiah because we honor Jeremiah. He said, but you 12 have been with me. You're my pastors and elders, auxiliary head leaders, small group leaders. You've been with me since old Concord Road, East 10th Street, First Ward. Who do you say when I'm not around? Wasn't John? Wasn't Mark? Wasn't Luke? Nathaniel, Philip, all the rest. But it was a wayward, struggling, what we would call wet behind the ear, instable, dysfunctional Peter. I got it. I know exactly who you are. You are Jesus. The Christ. You're not just a humanitarian. You're not just a scholar, a prophet, or a rabbi. But you're the Christ. God showed Peter the vision. Peter couldn't have learned it. Excuse me, using the word learned. But Peter couldn't have learned it. Peter couldn't go to nobody's Google. Nobody's explorer. Peter couldn't go to no one's set of encyclopedias. But somewhere in Peter's struggle, somewhere in Peter's instability, somewhere in Peter's stuff, God shows him the vision. And not only does God show him the vision, but God says on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Tonight I want to talk about keys of access there's access of authority access of ability and access of anointing when you come into the house of God and when you tap into the vision of the house there should be unlimited access unlimited authority unlimited ability unlimited anointings on your life you're not going to get this at the mall you're not going to get this at somebody's campus fellowship. It only comes from the consecrated, designated house of God. 
If anyone knows anything about church history, when you go to Rome and you visit the Vatican, there lies the bones of the Apostle Peter. Even in the Catholic tradition, Peter is known as the first pope. We would call him the first bishop in our tradition. It is Peter in Acts chapter 2 that preaches the sermon from the, at the days of Pentecost. It is Peter, not the other 12 or the other 11, but it was Peter that became the first great leader of the patristic or the period of fathers. It was Peter. All because he caught the vision. He caught the vision. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has shown you a vision. What could happen today in your life if you catch the vision? All of the ambitions and dreams and goals and desires, all of the objectives that you have will come to pass. All of them can come to pass. But it comes from heaven and it comes through his house. The house humbles us. The house keeps us in humility. The house keeps us in honoring. Because without the, the, without, without the clearing house of the house, we're independently of ourselves and our own grandeur. And we're misled, misinformed, ultimately misabused. We need the house of God. We need a vision. And I just believe God will give that to us. Not only is there special access, but there was, there was spiritual access that comes from the local house. Peter had it then. You can have it today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My time is up. I want to thank you all for praying for me and praying with me. I have no desire but to minister the word of God in the most relevant contemporary form so you can go home and realize that I can be all that God has called me to be. But it comes through his purpose and his plan. Not your plans, but his plans. Not your ways, but his ways. And when you learn to humble yourself, when you learn to submit to something greater, like the house of God, leadership of God, God can do great things in your life. You'll stand before thousands and thousands and tell people all over the world, this is how it happened. This is how it's done. God will honor and God will bless you because of that. I just want to pray with you all on today. I just, just want to take a moment and pray with the people of God.